0: It's gonna be one of those days. Actually, starting to happen a little more often than we I want, but um, but we're gonna start in Genesis. And basically, what we're gonna do? How many of you guys have ever seen Karate Kid? Let's put it that's. Let's speak your language. How many of you guys have ever seen Karate Kid? So Karate Kid, you guys know, it's like Daniel's son is this high school boy, and he keeps getting beat up, and so he needs to learn karate. And he finds this guy Mr. Miyagi who lives in his apartment building, and he's gonna train him in karate. Only problem is, most of the movie. He, he, he brings him over to his house, this little Daniel son, and he goes, all right, wax my cars, right? He wax on, wax off, right? And then he says, paint my house. And he gets mad at him, like, don't, don't be lazy, right? Do it the right way, side to side. And then sand my, sand my deck, right? It's got to be inward circles. And then paint my fence. It's up and down. at the end of the movie, Daniel son is like, this guy is using me. And then he learns, no, he's actually been teaching me something the whole time. So my hope is, I don't know that I'm going to be able to be as awesome as Mr. Miyagi, but my hope is that you guys feel lost a little bit in this. And then at the end, there's a huge payoff and you understand more about what this Palm Sunday is all about. So we're going to start literally in Genesis, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 3. It says this, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, you guys might know him as Abraham, but God changes his name to Abraham later. But this is when he first meets God. His name's Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the first thing that you would see is that this guy is a pagan from this place called um, uh, Ur. That's where he lives. And his people, his kindred, it talks about, they're called the Chaldeans. He's, he's from the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he's just this pagan guy. He has no history with the Lord, no relationship with God. There's no indication that really anybody on the earth does. We don't know that they don't for sure, but we don't have stories about it, right? And here's this guy, Abram. He's a nobody. He's 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 the most unlikely. And God comes to him and he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work through you. How many of you guys uh, in here um, are first generation Christians? You got any first generation Christians? Meaning your family wasn't necessarily a Christian, and but somehow you became a Christian. God called you, right? So we have some in this room. It's awesome. Like Abraham. In some ways, all of us are like Abraham in that we didn't know God, and some point, somehow, he made himself known to us, and we decided to follow him. Or maybe you're here, and he's seeking you right now, and you don't even know it. And he's going to ask you to follow him, and you're going to have to make a decision. Maybe you're in the process of making that decision. But he has no history of following God. And so this promise becomes this thing where he says, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless through you. So what you need to understand is the Jewish people, when, when Jesus is walking into the triumphal entry, the Jewish people's mindset, they would have known this, and they, they would have read this like this. When they looked at that, it says, when, when he says, I'm going to bless through you, they would have thought, Messiah. That's a reference to the Messiah, that someone in the lineage of Abraham, somewhere along the line, through this Abraham's family, through his new kindred, I'm going to bless. And it's going to be the Messiah. So we have a messianic uh, a reference. And then we see that it's to all the families of the earth or all nations. You guys get that? You might be lost. I'm telling you, you're, you're just, you're just uh, waxing a car right now. I get it. Right? But you need to understand this. They, he had no history with God. Now he has a history with God. He's going to bless through him. There's this pointing to something in the future, this me- Messiah through his lineage and, and it's going to be to all nations. And then we get in Genesis 22, 17. It says, I will surely bless you, he says to Abram, Abraham. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. So he's going to multiply them to this point where at some point, the, 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 the people who have been affected who have been blessed, his offspring, are going to be uncountable. Like the sea on, like the sand on the seashore. How many of you guys think you could go down and count the, sea, the sand on the seashore? Or the s- stars in the sky? You can't. That's the point. It's an uncountable number he's talking about. But even then, he said, this is all going to happen to your offspring. So the question would come up, who is Abraham's offspring? Who are these people? Who is Abraham's offspring? We jump forward to the new testament in galatians 3 that's the question they're asking and paul answers it like this he goes for as many of you as were baptized into christ now we're going to do a baptism today after church at 12:45 L- hope you guys will all come here right and we're going to we're going to we're going to immerse some people in water here's what i want you to understand when this verse is saying for as, as many of you as were baptized, it's not talking about a water baptism. It's talking about a completely new identity in Christ. In other words, you, you, were, you were somebody who, who did not know God. You were not following God. And at some point, through Christ it says, you started following God. You have, you have this new relationship with God. You have a new identity. You're now in Christ. You were not His And now you are his. That's what he's saying. You were baptized. You became his. You have a new identity. And he says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ, who had a new identity in Christ, who became his, and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Way back in Genesis. Through Christ, this fulfillment of of this promise that was made to Abraham comes to fruition. So through Christ, we are adopted into the family of God and become Abraham's offspring and heirs to the promise. Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag blessed. Okay? Now, Abraham... Doesn't have any kids, if you know the story. And then they get to be really old. And then miraculously, they have a child. His name is Isaac. Isaac is the only child. He grows up. He has two sons, right? Jacob and Esau, right? And Jacob has the birthright. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. God changes his name to Israel. That's how we get the nation of Israel. He has 12 sons. That's how we get the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel. The oldest one who doesn't, who doesn't sin and mess up his birthright is called, his name is Judah, right? And so Judah, the line is going to go through Judah. That's why we have the Lion of Judah, right? The tribe of Judah. Jesus comes through that lineage, right? But also they have a younger son, if you know the story, named Joseph. And lots of family dynamics we can't get into this morning. I wish we could, but Brittany would say, she would start rolling her eyes at me, right? And so, but they end up in Egypt. They end up in Egypt. For 400 years, they become slaves, and then God sends who? He sends Moses. Moses leads them out of slavery into the Promised Land, and we've got to see big picture here. There's four things that we're going to look back and represent about Moses that we need to understand, that the Jewish people would have understood, Jewish context. Salvation. This Exodus story Right? When 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 God parts the Red Sea and He frees these people out of slavery in Egypt, represents salvation from then on to the Jewish people. The big you read through all the prophets, all all the scriptures from now on, we're gonna talk about salvation, salvation, salvation. It's always gonna point back to Exodus. They're gonna remember it with the Passover, the Passover meal is gonna be about this time of 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 salvation. If you, if you haven't signed up yet, or if there's still, you can see Fritz. Fritz is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, uh, host a, a Seder dinner, a Passover dinner tomorrow night. And then are we going to do one on Tuesday? Just Monday, right? But, th- but there's this Passover. Jesus is coming in to celebrate this Passover salvation. Also, it represents to them this new way of life. For 400 years, they've been slaves. If you had been in prison all your life, and then you got out, there's a word for that. You're institutionalized. You no longer know how to function in regular society. So God has to teach them a new way of living. We call this the Mosaic law and and, and, and other things, right? So there's this new way of living he's going to teach them. He's going to save them. He's going to teach them a new way to live. Are you starting to kind of understand here? And then he gives them Jewish feasts. He gives them rhythms throughout the the year. Every year they're going to do seven feasts. The feasts come through Moses. He describes what these are for, when they're going to happen, but they're all about two things. They're all about looking back to God's faithfulness in the past and then looking forward to God's promises for the future. The feasts are all about looking back at God's faithfulness and looking forward at God's promises. And then there's a fourth thing, a coming Messiah. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says this to the people. He goes, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. All of these things, salvation, new way of life, uh, 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 remembering what God's done in the past, remembering what God's going to do in the future through a Messiah. This is all pointing to Jesus. Jesus. This is all pointing to Jesus. So what happens? Moses leads these people out. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness. Then Joshua takes over. They actually go into the promised land. Then we have the time of the judges, right? The judges are about 400 years of of these people just up and down, up and down. And then they decide they want a king. And then God gives them a king. Now we have the monarchy of Israel that we have in 1 in, in Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles. We're, starting to, we're looking at the whole Bible history here. 400 years, some of the kings, very few of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Most of them did what was not right in the eyes of the in the, the, the. And then God sends all these prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're prophesying. If you don't start doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, then God's going to have to come and bring discipline, correction. They get to the end, and he says, there's no longer any remedy. The end of 2 Chronicles. I'm going to need to send you into exile. Babylon's going to come, and they're going to send you into exile. It's going to be for 70 years. He tells them how long. And then it happens. Daniel and the lion's den, they're all, that's all part of this exile, right? For 70 years, they're in exile in Babylon, learning to thrive in Babylon. After 70 years, God's promises come true, and, 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 the, and the king at the time sends out a, a, a Nehemiah. He says, you can go rebuild Jerusalem. And then Ezra, you can rebuild the temple. When Ezra's rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, very important moment, one of the priests that helps him is a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah becomes an important, and this is about 500 years before Jesus now. Zechariah becomes this priest and then he becomes a prophet. He prophesies a very important prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. He says this, 500 years before Jesus, pointing to this Messiah, this growing need, now that they're in Babylon, when when you're suffering, guess what? You pray a lot. How many of you guys have noticed that? When you're in great need, there's this urgency, this sense of urgency, this sense of need. That's where they're at. Zechariah comes at a time like that. And he says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to to Israel. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Same theme's coming up. He's stirring them up. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is 500 years before Jesus shows up, right, as a baby on Christmas, or when we celebrate on Christmas, if we're honest. Number one in here, we see that there is a king that is coming. The Jewish people, when Jesus shows up, these Jewish people, who, they don't know who Jesus is, but they know the scriptures. And they know that means the Messiah is coming. When he says the king is coming, that's all that they would have thought about. They, they would have said Messiah. They would have been in Sunday school and they would have said, kids, the king is coming, who are we talking about? They would have all said Messiah. So it's a reference to this Messiah. Number two, he will not fight with chariots and horses. That's what it says. I'm gonna, I'm, Jerusalem's not going to have war. This isn't going to be an earthly war, right? Chariots from Ephraim, war horses from Jerusalem, not going to happen. Hosea, another prophet, a little bit before uh, this Zechariah. Hosea 1.7 says, But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. But I will not save them by bow or sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. It's important. They should have known that. And he says, I'm I'm going to come to bring peace to who? To the nations. He gives us reference to sea to sea. This is an Old Testament prophecy that's actually quoting an Older Testament prophecy in the Psalms. This is the Old Testament quoting the Old Testament. Psalm 72, 1 through 8. Give the king your justice, O God. We're pretty much at like the paint the fence, so we're getting close. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Who do you think that is? It's the Messiah. May he judge your people with righteousness. Listen to this and see if it doesn't start to sound a little bit like someone we know. May he judge your people with with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon through all generations. You guys starting to see some themes here? May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, May the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Very thing ja- Zechariah prophesies. Now, a couple things where the Jewish people's thinking are oh, here. There's a coming Messiah. He's going to he's going to crush the oppressor. Right. But they start to misunderstand what 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 Jesus is going to do at this point. Because they they don't understand a few things. They don't understand who the oppressor is. Who the enemy is. They they start to think the enemy is Babylon. The enemy is is these people who are coming against the nation of Israel. It's an earthly enemy. Who's the enemy? If you forget who your enemy is, you really forget the mission of Jesus. Do you realize... Do you realize you are the poor and needy that he's talking about? I, just, I got here late because I'm, I, I work in Santa Ana as a fireman. and I, was dry, I drove through Skid Row of Santa Ana this morning, and I look over and there's people sleeping on, in boxes, and, and they have fires that they're built up in tents, tent city, and there's a lady, um, and she's smoking crack because what else are you going to do when you're waiting to walk across the sidewalk? But that's Santa Ana. In my mind, I think that's the poor and the needy. That, if you go, who's the poor and needy? That's the picture I have in my head. Is that who the poor and the needy are in this psalm, you think? Now we, we are the poor and the needy. We're the ones that are oppressed. But we're not oppressed by political oppression. It's bigger than that. So the king is coming to rescue the poor and needy. But if you forget where we came from, that we're, we are and we were the poor and needy, you miss his whole, the whole thing. Do you understand the type of peace you need? Peace with God through His blood. If you forget that we're sinners saved by grace, so they don't know, they don't understand, they, they think their oppressor is, 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 is an is a earthly oppressor, they think the poor and the needy is someone else, right, who they can go out and help, and, and, They don't understand what this salvation is all about. Salvation from what? As the time goes on, they do uh, rebuild this this kingdom and and, and things start to get a little bit better. But then around the time of like the mid-300s, there's a silent period in the Bible. But world history is not silent, right? Any of you guys ever uh, learn about world history? There's a guy named Alexander the Great. You guys ever heard about him? He was a great Greek empire, great meaning very influential, very powerful, and did a lot. Not that he was great meaning good, right? Around 350 uh, BC, Alexander the Great takes over most of the known world. He's Greek. What does he do? It starts with an H. His campaign was Hellenization. Helen is a reference to Greek. He tried to make everything Greek. He thought everybody else was a barbarian, and if we can make you Greek, we we, we free you from being a barbarian. So he goes into all of these places, takes them over, uh, brings their, their philosophy, brings their Greek gods, brings, brings their, their art, brings everything. He, he Hellenizes everything. When Jesus comes, there's still Hellen- in, in, in Acts, it talks about these Hellenized Jews. It's Jews who had been influenced by this Greek movement. 350 takes over all this time, starts making everything Greek. The New Testament was written in what? Greek. Why? Because all of the world functioned with one common thing, Greek, because of Alexander the Great. He only lives to be 32 years old, goes out one night and parties, right? Ten days later, he's dead. There's lots of theories. They don't know if he was, he was poisoned in his alcohol or if he was, he was an, a raging alcoholic. He was known for that. Maybe he died of some kind of liver problem. Maybe he got malaria. We don't know. Lots of theories. But after Alexander the Great dies, nobody has his capacity for leadership and so they have to break it into four different parts. All of this is prophesied hundreds of years before in the book of Daniel, by the way, which is radical. And, and, and so what happens is it breaks it into four parts. Stuff starts going, these four different, uh, basically Greek or it becomes like all these different nations with all influenced by Greek but different. He takes over Israel. Around 160 A.D., this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means one who is manifesting God. You think these guys might have some, some humility issues? Um, in your presence is basically the manifestation of God. That's my name, right? He, they had another nickname for him. It was Epimenes, which means the mad one, hashtag crazy. Right? So what happens is, is he's taking over Israel at this time, or, or, the, or the region. He comes into the temple, the very temple that they had just rebuilt, and Zechariah was a big part of, and he sacrifices a bunch of pigs on the altar. Do you think that would be offensive to Jewish people? And then he turns the inner court into a brothel. you think that would be offensive? Well, a couple of other things happen, and he basically awakens the sleeping giant, this family called the Maccabees. They rise up. They say, we're not going to take it. They first go after the Hellenized Jews, because they're the sellouts. They're the traitors. But then it becomes even bigger, and they go after, they get enough people, they get enough movement, and they go after their freedom. And they fight for it. For seven years, they fight for their freedom against this huge Greek, all the resources with this small pocket of people, and they win they have a victory and this all happens like around 161 163. now now Antiochus had come in and he had kind of wiped out and, and, and desecrated the temple when Judas Maccabee also aka the hammer if you guys are into like WWE he's got this awesome nickname right the hammer right that's how they knew him because he led this revolution well he comes in and they have this victory and then what they do is the first thing they do is they rededicate the temple it's called it's called rededication. Well, they hadn't been able to celebrate any of these big feasts. The last one that they just missed was Sukkot. And Sukkot is basically some of the symbols of Sukkot is they would have read the Hillel, which is Psalm 113 to 118, which if you look at it, if you read it, you'll start to see Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Part of, another part of Sukkot is it's, it's also the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would take these palm branches, and they would make these tabernacles, these Sukkots, these tents. It was part of the festival. So people are waving these palm branches because they missed Sukkot, and they're going to bring a new Sukkot, right? But it's going to be in December, and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and it's just, they're just celebrating this victory, this revolution. It's short-lived, though. It's short-lived because they're, they, I mean, they, they hold their, their place for a little while, but they have this huge, huge army that all, all the resources start showing up. But the thing is, is forever, they're going to they're gonna remember this Feast of Dedication. Any of you guys know what holiday it is? It's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the Feast of Rededication, right? Jesus actually celebrated Hanukkah on, in John chapter 10, if you didn't know that, Right? So, so here's this thing. Now, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. It created a hunger in the Jewish people. A little bit of victory became this taste. But what was their hunger for? Their hunger was for religious and political revolution. And their hunger for was to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. You guys kind of with me? Jesus is now going to walk in. He's done all these things. People are talking about him. He's going to walk in on one of these big feasts, Passover. They're going to celebrate salvation. They're going to celebrate. They're going to celebrate. But they've seen in Jesus something. Messiah has now been Savior. Messiah has now become political revolutionary. Messiah has now become the one who's going to reestablish on earth Israel. So Jesus is walking in. And what are they doing? It's Passover, but are are they celebrating Passover? Nope, they're celebrating Sukkot. Hosanna! Hosanna! They're waving their palm branches. What does this mean to them? It means the hammer's back. It's hammer time. And so we get to our text today, Matthew chapter 21. Well that was all just introduction, by the way. <laughs> Matthew 21, 1 through 11. We hear this story. The kids kind of represented this. Now, when they this is the last week of his life. He's going to enter into Jerusalem. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, basically, it's, a, it's an outskirt region of Jerusalem. Jerusalem could no way enter. Uh, hold all of the people that showed up for Passover. So they extended the borders during this time. And, and the Mount of Olives, there would be people everywhere, right? They're just people packed in trying to, to stay in Jerusalem for this, for this huge pilgrim feast. It says, now when they drew near to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, probably Peter and John. He said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately... You will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Maybe prearranged. Jesus had this all prearranged, we think. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Which prophet do you think that was? Zechariah. He's going to read Zechariah 9, what we'd already read. Saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their, uh, their they put on them their cloaks and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches. These are palm branches, right? And uh, in the other accounts, we see the, clearly they're palm branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They're yelling, Hosanna! We go, oh, cool, worship party. No. No. Make America great. Make Israel great. They're picketing with this political revolution. They're saying, Hosanna, save us now. Save you from what? Save you from what? Do you realize your enemy? Do you realize who your enemy is? My fear, as Christians, a lot of times we don't. We get in this us versus them mentality as if people who don't follow Jesus are the enemy. They're the the ones that he came for. They're the ones he sent us to. They're the ones he sent us to bless. And yet we make them the enemy. The palm branches equal victory, victory, victory. You're finally here. We're going to have victory. Do you realize what you need victory from? Is it external forces? And then who is this Jesus? They say, oh, he's a prophet. What are some things he gets wrong? What are some things they get wrong? If you you wonder if Jesus recognized that they got something wrong, just a little bit further in the story, he stands up, looks over Jerusalem that night, and he's crying. What is he crying about? says, Jesus wept, and he says this over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew what would bring you peace on this day. But They don't understand what they need peace from. They don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand why Jesus came. They don't understand how he's going to fulfill all of these promises that he's made. They don't understand. What was Jesus doing? He was bringing salvation, yes, but not from Rome. He's bringing salvation from sin, from that which separates them from a relationship with God. He's trying to reconcile them to this God, not, not build this kingdom of Israel like in David's day. He's trying to build a new kingdom. He's trying to bring people and be a new people. Who are these people? Is it Israel? Israel? I don't know. I'm pretty much if, if we were reading through Genesis through Revelation today, I heard a lot about all the nations. I learned about I, I, I heard a lot about a guy who was going to come and not bring war on the earth. And who was going to bring peace, peace with God. Through these people, he's going to make a people and he's going to use them. He's going to use them to offer peace to the world, peace with God. Does that sound very familiar to where we're at today? If the story ended there, it would be kind of radical. I, I never really put this together until recently, but actually, this is only the middle of the story. Let's turn to Revelation. Rev- Some of you guys have said, hey, I want to I do a series on Revelation. Right now is your series on Revelation. Get excited. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. We're about to see into the future. You guys ever want to go back to the future? We're about to get in a DeLorean, and we're about to hit, what is it, 89? What do we got to, 88 to be exact, 88 to be exact. How many gigawatts do we need? We need 1.21 gigawatts, and we're going to go into the future. Through John, we're going to see this revelation, this picture of our future, of the promise. It's going to sound like a radical Palm Sunday. Our future has a radical Palm Sunday. You think Palm Sunday is about what happened in the past? All the feasts are about celebrating what God did in the past, but also what? Looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. Prepare to get excited. Let's have the worship team come back up. Bring up your banjos and your palm branches. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude. What was the promise that he made to, 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 to uh, Abram in Genesis? I'm going to multiply you. He sees a big multitude. Is that common language? Genesis to Revelation. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude. Hashtag fulfillment of prophet promise to Abraham. A great multitude that no one could number. What did he promise to him? Like, like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. What is that? What kind of number is that? One you can't count to. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. Now we have a king. You know know who sits on thrones? Kings. And before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with? Oh, they have palm branches! Woo! Woo! be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Palm Sunday is, is, what is it about? From this day forward, Palm Sunday is about remembering how faithful our God is, what He was really doing when He entered Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross with a purpose, with joy set before Him. He was going to endure the cross. Why? To rescue us so that we could know Him. And be a part of this legacy, this promise from Genesis to Revelation that God was going to raise up a people. He's going to adopt them into his family and then he was going to use them to bless the rest of the nations. All of the nations. One other picture. Interesting, when you get to heaven and all these people are worshiping, it says all these people from all these nations and all these languages. I love that. Do you think God is afraid of race? We get race wrong. We call it racism. God's not going to race. He's not going to erase racism by making everybody the same. We're going to get to heaven. We're all going to be different. But we're all going to be the same because all it's going to be is just Christ. What we have in common, we're going to celebrate communion, common union. All we have in common is this Christ. All we have to celebrate is that he saved us. All the it's going to later it's going to say all the pain, all the sorrow, all of it's gone. So on Palm Sunday we celebrate and we remember God's faithfulness in the past that he saved us. And we celebrate the wonderful future that God has promised to all who are in Christ. Let's worship.